Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi. This is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. So welcome back to the Defiant Spirit Podcast. I'm Dr. Baruch Levy, also known as B, and if you are watching this, then you can tell quite clearly that I am not alone in this podcast, this video. And if you're on the uh, if you're on the podcast and just listening, well, sitting next to me is the one and only Yehuda Halevi. How's it going? Good to be here. <laughs> I've only seen these pop up my Instagram feed, so he's actually never listened to this podcast. Um, but if you haven't guessed already, probably don't guess by the, if you're looking at us. But he is my son. Um, I used to have hair like that and uh, a physique like that, but that's now his inheritance. Um, but he definitely shares my last name, so I guess I, that's a giveaway. So, and, and also, you know, good to have you at home. He's um, the University of Colorado Boulder, which is only 45 minutes away, but we get him back every once in a while. And I said to him the last time that he um, was coming back, I said we should do a podcast. So here we are. So welcome to not only to my podcast studio, but this is his former bedroom as well. So welcome home. It's good to be back in my old room. <laughs> Doesn't didn't look like this before, did it? No, not at all. No, it's, it's actually an upgrade. It was pretty scary before. No, actually, he's got he's got good taste, and, and that'll take us into the Enneagram One. So, Yuda um, identifies as an Enneagram One. Is that fair? That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I don't like telling people they are a one, but. He reacts and he responds like a one. We can always defy our number if you're listening. That's my thesis. You're never a number. However, when we're unconscious, when we're on autopilot, we go into our Enneagram core type. And, and so we've talked a long time about that one thing. So maybe we'll jump into that in a second. But maybe just tell the, uh, the listeners a little bit about your, your journey. And what's, maybe if you do find the Enneagram interesting, which I know you do, um, why? Um, so when I first discovered the Enneagram, I took it to heart pretty quickly and started teaching everyone I knew about it just because it really resonated with me. And uh, I guess it was just a way to take a lot of the, the, the struggles internally that I felt and understand them from more of a systematic lens and be able to, to understand certain aspects of it and understand why I, I do see why I do certain things in certain ways. Um, I don't I don't necessarily identify with all the types, but I see bits and pieces of myself in all the different types, as with all my friends. Like, we very much um, feed off of each other's different characteristics that, that pop up in the Enneagram. My, one of my really close friends, who's an Enneagram 7, um, him and I have talked a lot about this, Seven is kind of the, the place that I go to, the characteristics I take on to, to get out of my oneness. Um, and he's very spontaneous and free-spirited person. And then he, in turn, acknowledges me as more of like a grounding, um, more guiding presence that keeps him in check. And we, we really feed off of each other well in that way. So Dude, you're already an Enneagram geek. You're even like throwing around the I have, I have my, my fraternity house 
bedroom has an Enneagram thing on the wall. <laughs> See, another, another convert. Um, so for our listeners, Enneagram 1 is the reformer, the perfectionist. Do you have a preference? Uh, no, both. both you know, people don't, sometimes ones don't like the perfectionist because that can be a pejorative, a negative sort of connotation. And reformer is more of an active change agent. And, and you know, I think like anything else, it depends where you're at. But um, And then if you're listening, you'd a reference to the Enneagram 7, which is right here. And that is the enthusiast, the optimist. And one of the things I love about the Enneagram, I know you appreciate this too, is it's, it's mathematical or it's physics. So you almost need these yin-yang combinations. And you see that quite often, like the eight and the nine are worlds apart, the challenger and the peacemaker, but they hold each other in check. But I think this is one of the big um, yin-yangs of the Enneagram is the one seven. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely think so. Very opposite pieces. And I didn't think I was able to harness that that energy being able to move on that line until I like recognized it for what it was so Enneagram one and this changed I've mentioned this many times on the podcast um, whether or not you realize it because he's actually never listened to my podcast but he, he will from now on so um, I, don't, I don't think you know this but I've talked a lot about how discovering the Enneagram has helped me with my relationships and especially our relationship because until I understood, you know, I, I knew this about Yuda. We call him Yuda or Yehuda. Do you have a preference? Either one. I don't. Um, so before I knew this about Yehuda, I intuited it. But now to have the language of the Enneagram transformed the way I think and re- about Yuda and relate to you. And that is because that level of responsibility for a one is built into the system. Right? Some types, some of your siblings, I have to sort of reiterate over and over and over a need for a sense of responsibility. But for a one, it's almost this innate or inborn quality. Does that resonate? Yeah, it does. Um, which feels sometimes like a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel particularly like I am able to disobey my moral compass, mm-hmm. but never able to do so in an ignorant way. Mm -hmm. I'm always aware of kind of this like internal guidance that, you know, when it's, when it's productive and when it's helpful, it sends me in, in a positive direction of like where I want to go, my goals, my aspirations, my values. Um, but sometimes that can feel like a box and kind of a, a boxed in mindset where if, um, there's something new or there's something that may be unsure um, may come off as a threat to that that system of, of perfection or, or of values then going away from it which is, is natural and is healthy to, to stray away from you know being um, in, in line with our highest selves all the time when I, when I do stray away from it uh, it's it's extremely hard to uh, remain present and to, to, I guess, enjoy where I'm at, even if it's not exactly what I'm supposed to be doing in the moment. You know, lots of people um, think that they have an inner critic, and I, and I have an inner critic. Everybody listening has one. But when I've talked to ones before, um, they say that their inner critic isn't just something they have. It's central to their life. It's that when you are straying off of your you know, off of your moral compass, 
it's kicking in. It's kicking in in a way that most of us can't um, can't even imagine how much that inner critic has to say. Is that something that resonates? Yeah, um, it, it is. I'm I'm actually in a class right now. It's a writing class called Narrative and the Self, and um, we're we're learning about this dialogical self and um, analyzing two different parts of ourselves that really uh, clash and come into conflict. And the way I described it and the way I, I've I thought about it was, you know, a lot of the times you have this idea of like a devil and an angel on your shoulders. So you take that and imagine that it's not on your shoulders, it, it's embodied within you and it's part of you and it's embedded in, in to your direct stream of consciousness, you know. It's not like, oh, like talking to, to different parts of myself. It really is is a feeling of um, that that conflict, the devil and angel conflict, but inside of you, fully and all the time. And I think it's true with everybody, but it's just more pronounced with a one. In my experience, I'm not a one, um, but you know, obviously, have you in my life and my brother and my father um, are ones, and so I've seen a lot of that. And and it, what it, what happens is it creates a black and a white. Right, and I, th- I think I've said this too many times, but you know, life is shades of gray. Actually, my mom, your grandmother, used to say that to me a lot. So it's hard because it's either one voice or the other voice, or one voice or the other voice. And I know our work, your work, is to kind of see the nuance, the shades of gray. There are things in life that are black and white, but it can't be everything most of the time. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think that that's just part of the work. It's part of the work. So what, what, I guess, you know, for our listeners, maybe describe a little bit about where do you think some of the superpowers of the one, what, what are some of the superpowers? And if somebody doesn't know what a one is, because, you know, oftentimes we'll talk about the shadow stuff, which is important, but I, I think it's important to lead with some of these strengths and one has some very clear superpowers. So what, so what would you say they are? Um, I think the the biggest superpowers of the one have been described to me from uh, people around me who have like acknowledged it within me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I obviously have you know learned about the enneagram and I'm I'm studying psychology, but you know it comes from a, a, an internal um, desire to I guess help help people and help people. Um, discover more about themselves and just be that type of figure for my community and for people in my life. Um, there, there's a, a feeling of connecting to certain ideas and being able to really like lock in on them and put all of my efforts into something when I, when I realize that it's something I'm passionate about, which I'm grateful is is a strength of the one because it's allowed me to you know dive deeper into relationships and um, you know hobbies and other passions and writing and and um, religion. It's true. I, I mean, I hadn't really thought about these terms, but um, one one of the superpowers of a one is a laser beam focus, right? It's not multitasking. It's not a what I, you know, you think of some types, like a three is a multitasker. But a one is a single focus. And I don't have to tell you, that has blessings and curses. But some of the blessings I see is you're laser focused on something, you're all in. Yeah. Right? Now the flip side, right, is that 
life is shades of gray and sometimes it's not you can't just be all or all in or all out and I know that that can be hard sort of shifting gears or finding a I'm in but I'm not all in is that something that resonates yeah it's being in college that's definitely been um, uh, just a challenge to, to live in the gray because going to school in Boulder isn't very much a, a gray area type of place to be um, just naturally because of the culture there so being able to I guess be dip my toe in to all areas of, of life and, and not be fully um, consumed and deep dive in and just appreciate different different aspects of what different um, parts of my my school culture and, and other you know, parts of my life have to offer it's it's a dance it's right yeah and, and it's hard because ones again are all in or all out and you're in a situation and a place in life where you know I certainly have encouraged you not to be all in for instance a major right it's like important to go to college I think and say it's all possible now I got to narrow it down yeah and that doesn't come naturally for you so that's you know the blessing of that is like when you're committed you're committed one example of this not to you know out you but I don't think it's anything you're ashamed of um, is ones are usually said to be very neat and tidy and clean and and that's true if they put their attention on a certain area but I had the privilege of driving Yehuda's car while he was in Israel this summer and let's just say that's not where he put his attention, right? So how does that work? So if you go look at my car right now, it's spotless. Okay. Because my girlfriend's coming this weekend. Okay. And when, I, I actually learned this from, from a teacher a while ago, that it's not something with ones, but just myself in general, sometimes it's not a, a can't, it's a won't, mm-hmm. right? And with I feel like with with ones with everyone too, when there's um, when there's a strong motivation, everything's possible. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes with with lack of that, if it's not perfect, it's not worth doing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times you'll my most of the time my my bedroom is clean. For example, mm-hmm. bed perfectly made. It's just something that uh, just embedded in me at this point, but. You know, if you talk to my roommate, he'll say something sometimes like, yeah, I usually know how Yuda's doing based off of how his room looks. Mm. Um, and, and there's a truth to that. It's, I mean, in general, you're in, I feel like your, your living environment reflects like your in, internal state of being. But Especially with the one. Especially with the one, yeah. Right, because that order makes you feel like you have internal order, like control. Eight, eights, nines, and ones, Yuda's not alone in this, I'm an eight is are the controlling triad eight nine and one we all control in different ways and ones really focus on going in, controlling their inner world eights try and control their external world and so i think you know we just have different ways i i i've seen this in you um when you are in a good place in a good rhythm right it's sort of manifest on the outside in order and structure and when like all of us you're having the storms it also manifests on the outside yeah. So I know that's something you've you've worked at. So tell us a little bit about um, what it's like the word justice, because 
ones of more than any other type that I have seen, maybe eights, but I think ones even more, they really like live with this right and wrong, and that can translate into not just you for you, but justice in a larger sense. What does what does that do for you? Um, I think it's more of. I think with eights, it, it manifests through a lot of anger and a lot of like outward. What? So no, no mean to like point fingers. I've been anything. outing you. You can out me. That's okay. They know I'm an eight hole. With with eights. Um, with eights, it manifests a lot as as like outward anger, mm-hmm. um, and then with with nines from the nines I've like been around, um, it kind of gets just suppressed. Mm-hmm. But with with ones, I've I've experienced that instead of outwardly um, projecting that that anger response to injustice, mm-hmm. it's sometimes when um, when I'm unaware of it it's directed back on the self. Mm-hmm. So to, to be able to channel that that anger of injustice, which anger is definitely the right emotion, I'd say, that comes up here, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to channel it in the right way, it, it's powerful. Um, but at the same time, um, it's sometimes the, the reactive piece is initially to, to put it back on the self first. I, I've noticed that if a lot of times if I feel like something's been unjust towards me uh, without realizing it, the the anger will be it will be just reflected right back on myself mm-hmm. and yeah. um, not really expressed in the, in the correct way yeah no that's a big difference between eight and one I think it's also it a major source of some of our early childhood conflict right because I go outward and ones tend to go inward, and it's like this cat and mouse game that's sort of chasing. But you know, your work is to not internalize, right? And to, to express. My work is to repress, to hold back. So almost different directions in life. But I, I've noticed, I'm, I'm certain, I've witnessed you really learning how to express as opposed to repress. What are some of the, the techniques and tools you've, because you've developed quite a few to, to be able to express your feelings or your anger? I think with the ones um, and what I've experienced is initially, like upon, I mean, it's a skill, noticing that, that anger that wants to come out, say it's anger that you need to express towards someone. Say someone has done something that you feel is unjust towards you. Um, and the initial feeling is this is wrong of me to express this person because there's that moral idea of right and wrong and and the my my initial feeling is to um to say no like i'm gonna deal with it on my own i'm gonna i can rise above it it's very um it's it's almost escaping the emotion through through the feeling of oh like I'm gonna rise above this and I'm I'm better than the emotion. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's a struggle as a one to recognize that I am I am sometimes very powerless over some of these things. Uh, you talk about it you know in like AA for example. There's that idea of like. Admitting your powerlessness, mm-hmm. uh, and I think as a one, that's especially important because one, like you, you're not a god. You know, you're you're a human 
with human emotions, human desires, and human needs. And part of that means uh, acknowledging that humanness so that you can begin to express it instead of you know, keeping it in with, with the fear of being human correlating with like uh, immorality. Mm -hmm. uh, recognizing that is, is huge. It's been huge for me. It has been. I've seen part of the process for you to do that has been writing, journaling. That's been a part of your life for quite some time. Yeah, I started, I started journaling when I was 16 um, at boarding school. Uh, if you want to call it boarding school, but um, <laughs> boarding school of sorts. Yeah, uh, I started writing, and um, my my writing's definitely the style has changed, but what's remained consistent is it kind of it allows me to um, almost take everything, thoughts, emotions, um, and and anything else to take it and to put it somewhere, physically put it somewhere, um, via via writing and. I haven't found the same effect to be true with typing. Something about um, actually like using using your hand to express these words, and then being able to close close the book and put it away, mm -hmm. uh, has really been like a good like releasing tactic mm -hmm. for me uh, for the past uh, five years. And uh, it's it's interesting to look back as well because um, you know day to day it's it's really easy to. Um, be so focused on on a certain thought or emotion or situation that's going on at the time and a year from now it won't matter but being able to look back and say oh like I've gone through something like this or oh I've overcome this or oh this is a this is a key part of my story that I now have uh, documented mm -hmm. has been it, it helps you think of your life as more it helps you to take over your own narrative in a way you know, ever since you've been a little kid, you've always liked structured things like we used to have, we lived in outside of Boston, on our doorpost, um, your height, like lots of people do, right? And you really always liked doing that, like it, it, almost to the day, like I, had, so I remember I had to like say, you know, we got to do like every other week or every month, not every day, but you like that tracking. And I see that with ones, they like benchmarks. You know, I, I work with Michael Feiner and finance on Enneagram and we call the Enneagram ones uh, what do we call them? The cons uh, the blue chip investor. But one of the things we make sure that if they're involved, if he's involved with somebody in finances, is we have benchmarks, so they can measure their growth or you know the lack of growth. But I see that in ones like it's it's almost like an order to something that's so chaotic, right? That it makes sense. Does does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. There's there's definitely an I feel like comfort in a way and having some sort of order, either in the mind or outside? I, you know, my, my heart really feels, and I, I didn't know this until I started studying the Enneagram, for ones and sixes, six is the loyalist, ones and sixes deal with a lot of anxiety. We all do. But partially for the ones, as I always say to ones especially, and sixes, um, you know, it, they're right. Like, you're right. It's, it's a scary world. We live on a rock in outer space, right? It's going around and around. We're going to die. Like, that's scary. And... I compartmentalize that. And ones have a harder time compartmentalizing that. And so you're almost closer to ultimate truth, ultimate reality sometimes. I just see it in the way you move through the world where other types, like myself or Enneagram 3, I think actually 3, 7, and 8, because we're all high energy, move forward, conquer, we tend to be in sort of 
not sensitive to that, but I think you're very sensitive to, I don't know, the world's struggles, challenges, the, 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 the reality of it all. Does that, does that resonate? Yeah, it does. Um, it, it is something that is on my mind a lot, just a very existential way of thinking. I mean, even since you were a little kid, it's always felt to me like you've had sort of a, a heavier weight on your shoulders than your average kid. Certainly than I did. I, I didn't. I, you know, you, you gravitate almost towards it, but it's also something that's it's overwhelming. I get it. Yeah, it, it can be overwhelming, and um, especially when, you know, I mean, I'll use the college example again. Like, there's, like, I just wish I could be okay. Like, you know, these thoughts, I wish I could be okay going out and, and, doing what everyone else is doing and, and drinking three days a week and just and partying and all this stuff. And for some reason, me and, and other, you know, one type minds that I've met, it just, it just, I, I can't, for some reason, my mind doesn't allow me to, to think that in that small of a way. Mm -hmm. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Like I, I enjoy, you know, college and everything, but at the same time, um, I have to really, really talk to that one piece and say, hey, like, um, I, you know, I am deserving of, of being more like a seven, you know, being more like a three or an eight in that way. And I don't have to have the reins so tight on myself and I can enjoy these things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a balance between that and also just reining in some of that, that judgment. Uh, I've noticed that with one with the one uh, type of mind, it's it's very easy to quickly spiral into first judging yourself and then you know extending that onto others. And um, when I do talk talk to myself and say, "Hey, like this isn't bad," you you you're, you're approaching this thing in a, in a very conscious way and you can enjoy it. Um, the judgment towards others. Like slowly starts to dissipate after that. No, I, I can see it's a it's a real inner battle for all ones. But um, you know, I've shared with um, the audience before that one of my sort of insights around parenting you changed when I heard Beatrice Chestnut, who's an Enneagram teacher, and she said, "For every type, our job as an Enneagram coach is to make them better. But for an Enneagram one, our job should be to make them worse." Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Does that resonate? No, that resonates a lot. Um, because I, I just, you know, we, we see the world through our lens and we think that's how everybody sees their world. And I need to be pushed to become a better person. Ones, um, but back to the, you know, we were talking about before, you already have more inner critic in your head than you'll ever need from anybody outside of you. So I don't need to add fuel to the fire. I need to help you bring down the fire so that you, you know, don't get burnt. And I can see that that is a really important piece of your life. I also think it's why you gravitate towards certain types, like nines. Right? You have a lot of nines and twos in your life. And sevens. And sevens. Yeah. They're a nine, two. Uh, interesting. Nine, two, and seven are called the optimist triad. Right? And they're lighter. They're the lightest energy on the um, Enneagram. So nine, seven, and two really try and look past the darker, the judgmental, the 
the heavier stuff that I was talking about. You know, they're not the ones sitting around with the existential weight of the world on their shoulders. So maybe it would make sense that you would attract them or be attracted to them. Yeah, no, I do have a lot of nines, sevens, and twos in my life, and that's just kind of the people that have, you know, come my way and I connect with a lot. And uh, I, I do, I feel like ones and, and fives connect on a very, um, intellectual level. Mm -hmm. um, the five's the, uh, the investigator and the one, of course, the reformer, yes. Yeah, and then um, ones and fours, I've also felt the, the one connection to the four, it's very, um, I mean, we talked about the one and the seven, but mm -hmm. the one and the four I've experienced within myself is very, um, it can be a very dark, it can be a very dark place, mm -hmm. but because of the nature of the one to um, pursue and to, to have that laser focus, mm -hmm. it can be very productive. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I found that's helped with when I end up in that um, one four place mm -hmm. is uh, poetry. Mm -hmm. Writing, writing in that in that style specifically, whereas writing um, in an analytical way is more of like a a one mm -hmm. just kind of spinning in their own head. Mm -hmm. One with a four style of writing mm -hmm. can be very freeing because it's almost uh, it helps. It's it's a little bit of a it takes a little bit of the the edge off of that existential weight mm -hmm. and turns it into more of a um, romantic point of of view and style of writing. Well, so the four is called the individualist, but it's also called the romantic. It's the artist, it's depth of uh, emotion, right? So it's in the emotional triad, and that's what you're describing is, you know, for, for you to make the journey from here to here is, for like a lot of people, is very hard. And, and one of the things you named is one in five, when I'm working with people, I, I can get those confused until I get to know the person. It, um, they look similar on the surface. An example is Elon Musk. Um, lots of people have him as a five, but if you listen to Elon, he, um, he, he's got a fiery rhetoric, right? There's an anger there. Fives don't tend to have that anger, like you know some fives. And there's a little more of sort of an even-keeled analytical cerebral. So ones burn a little hotter. But um, the one in the four connection is that depth. Right? You go down into the depths of your psyche, your soul. I think it's also the piece that's attracted you to um, psychology. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, I, I've learned not as much in my classes, but just through like reading and YouTube, like just like shadow work mm -hmm. in general, um, the facing some of those, those darker elements of the self has been something I feel like I've been able to explore through that one connection to the four. It's so interesting. I never thought about this till you said it, but seven is the lightest of all Enneagram types, right? The kind of, you know, hey man, go with the flow kind of thing. And four is the darkest. And you're the, the linchpin between these two things. Yeah. I mean, anyways, that's the angels that you're talking about. Not that fours are all devils. No. And your mother included. <laughs> and, and, and sevens are all angels. But it's the light and dark. You yeah. Need both. Yeah, you do need both. Um, but you, but you do have sort of a burden of shouldering those. Yeah, and and uh, you know I've learned I've learned how to, to channel the four and the seven in different ways. Um, one way that's helped me channel the seven is travel. Mm -hmm. 
Your pickup truck makes me think of you and your seven. Yeah. Heading off to the mountains. Just heading off wherever. Uh, that's been very you know, seven-esque. And I've noticed, too, when you do that, it's like you almost go out of your way not to plan too much. Yeah. Right? Because that would turn it into a one exercise in the mountains. Yeah. Versus exactly. a seven experience. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's confusing, honestly, because in those states, you might confuse me as a seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and getting to learn about the seven, I've purposefully, like, tried in those in those circumstances to to just pretend like I am a seven mm-hmm. because it just gets me out of my head and into my life and no no planning kind of just going going with the flow as much as possible and you know hope for the best that's that's defying your number right I mean that's why like you'll, your natural reaction will be to recreate the one up in the mountains because that's what we all know that we go we, we do what we know but then you defy that and you say I'm gonna embrace this seven energy Right, and it changes things for you. Yeah. Um, and and so then you come back. By the way, then when you come back to your life, and you know you're gonna end up in your default core type, but it's a healthier version of the one. It's blown off some steam. Yeah. That's what's so important. And then I have seen you in your older years go more down into this and access this. You know, I, I saw this when you were a kid. It was almost like this was scary to you, like you would stay away from this stuff. And I've seen it really in the past few years that you've actively been pursuing the four. Um, that, that's that poetry piece. It's pretty, pretty profound to watch. So, um, I don't know. Any other final words of wisdom? We'll, we'll have you back on. Don't you worry. But um, your word, final thoughts, reflections about life as a set one or anything you want to share? Um, I just think in general, um, being a one, it's... It's realizing and learning about like the one and the higher qualities of the one mm-hmm. has has helped me um, just gain better control over it. And I think that the people around me have have been um, an accurate reflection of that. Um, being in being in your own head as as your own type, I feel like with not just ones with every type, it's it's hard to see around the circle mm-hmm. um, and. And you know, picking up people and friends along the way that make up the rest of the circle mm-hmm. can kind of show you other parts of um, your your connecting lines, but of the circle in general that you can't see on your own. So I don't think it's all. I think the biggest you know advice I would give is you know not just to to try and take on other qualities of of the your connecting lines or of the circle, but to surround yourself with. A variety of people because I think people are the best way to bring out um, those other qualities in you and I think as a one especially I've taken that laser focus um, mm-hmm. onto like learning from the, the different types of people that I've brought in my life. That's really great uh, advice and it makes me think I only talk about defying your number in reference to yourself but it's also about defying your number which numbers you hang out with you know, where you surround yourself. Yeah. Surround yourself with an echo chamber of certain types that don't push you or challenge you or whatever it might be. And so just becoming conscientious about the, it's a whole, it's a circle. Yeah. Right. That yeah. is really great. So uh, we're going to, we're going to do some programming and some uh, content creation around defying your number, right? 
making sure you're living a circle in your life, but also the people around your uh, around your life in your life. So that's great. Yeah. Well, you heard it here, Yehuda Halevi. If you Google him, you might get another Yehuda Halevi, <laughs> but that's another conversation for another day. Thank you, my son. Of course. And, thanks uh, for having me on. Thanks for coming back to your bedroom and letting me use it as a studio. And uh, very gracious of you, and I know my audience appreciates it. So if you want more, um, jump over to defiantspirit.org where you can check out my newest and complimentary offering called discover your number you don't need a test to discover your number and if you just jump over to the site you'll get everything you need to discover your number and as you'll soon learn to defy your number we'll talk to you in the next podcast see you in the next video until then defy your number and live your spirit thank you for listening to the defiant spirit podcast with me your host dr baruch levy if you like what you heard please consider leaving a five-star review and share this podcast with others to learn more about the Defiant Spirit, get more inspirational content, or see how we might work together to live your Defiant Spirit, visit DefiantSpirit.org. Until then, take back your power and live your Defiant Spirit.